American credit card debt hits a stunning $1 trillion as one of the Biden White House's favorite companies goes belly up. Carrie Lake wants to run for Senate again. And Ohio votes blue on a big Republican proposal. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No, me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, folks, Bidenomics is a giant fail, and we are seeing the wages of Bidenomics happening right now. Here is the thing. Bidenomics, which is basically the idea that if we sink extraordinary amounts of taxpayer dollars into Joe Biden's favorite companies, or if we just blow out cash spending on a wide variety of causes that help Joe Biden's favorite political friends, that if we do all of that, that somehow jogs economic growth and leads to economic durability. It's a lie. It's always been a lie. But here's the thing. It's very difficult to explain to people why it's a lie, because capitalism is a much more subtle and interesting conversation than is corporatism. Corporatism has always been in very easy sell. Corporatism is basically the idea. It was started by Mussolini in the early 20th century that if you work hand in glove, government and business together, and then you direct those businesses in a particular way, this will lead to economic prosperity because it cuts out all of the evils of competition. And we all work together instead of working against one another. In, in fact, the idea of the corporation as sort of a corporate body Again, goes back to early 20th century philosophy, particularly prominent in fascist circles. Fascist economics looks very much like what much of the West pursues in terms of a mixed economy right now, meaning government subsidization of particular businesses, government telling business what to do and business just going and doing it. And, and what that actually results in is certain levels of economic stagnation because it cuts out innovation. When you are subsidizing certain businesses at the cost of other businesses, then what you are actually doing is you are twisting the incentive structure in extraordinary ways. And when you hear people in the United States who are very nostalgic for the 1950s, they, why can't why can't we have an economy like the 1950s where the government was heavily subsidizing particular businesses, where unions were really, really strong? The quick answer to that question is we can't have the 1950s unless you wish to destroy literally all of the Western economies on planet Earth except for the United States. The reason the 1950s were a boom time in the United States is because every single export market for the United States was completely destroyed. So destroyed that we had to spend billions of dollars giving those countries money so they could buy our product. That's what the Marshall Plan was. So if you don't wish to, you know, devastate the entire world economy and then have the United States be the last one standing so that we can you know, pay the unions off for manufacturing product that you could easily do elsewhere, well, then it's going to be kind of hard to square that circle. But Joe Biden's quote unquote industrial policy, his entire redistributionist policy, it has real costs. And we've been living with these policies for quite a while now, and they are not going particularly well. We are looking at slowing rates of growth across the West as governments decide to move away from more free market oriented economics and more toward, again, this corporatist model. The reason I'm ranting about the corporatist model right now is because I don't think it's only a Bidenomics problem. I'm also seeing it happen on the right. I think there's a part of the right that does not understand how free markets work and why they are good. There are a couple of reasons why free markets are particularly good. One, you as an individual human being have a right to your property. This is the basis of basically all innovation and economic growth. It also happens to be moral. If you put work into property, you own that property. It does not belong to other people. If you then wish to live in a community where you share that property, that's your problem. And you can do that. And in fact, that's what religious communities over time have done. As I've said before, I give a lot of charity to my local synagogue. My local synagogue distributes that charity among a wide variety of causes. I help out friends. I give them jobs. Right? This is all stuff that people traditionally have done. But that doesn't make my property not my own property. Freely alienatable and freely keepable, right? All of that is very good just on a moral level. But the other thing that capitalism does that no other system does is it creates positive externalities. Capitalism ends with creating innovation. Now, it looks wasteful, capitalism, because look at all these people who are in competition. Why can't there just be one 
type of shampoo on the shelf, right? This is Bernie Sanders' routine. Why do we have all of these different shampoo companies making tons of different types? Of, I only need one type of shampoo for this crazy hair. Well, the reason is because the competition makes the price lower. It makes it better for the consumer. Choice is good for the consumer. Competition is good for the consumer. And the same thing is true in the stock market. When people look at the stock market and they see it as a speculative enterprise, the stock market is not about the speculation. It's not about some dude getting rich day trading. The truth is you're not going to get rich day trading. The number of people who have gotten truly wealthy day trading is very, very, very low. That is not how good investors invest. The way that good investors invest is they find what they believe is an undervalued property and then they buy it and then they hold it. This is Warren Buffett's entire strategy. Warren Buffett is a student of Benjamin Graham and David Dodd. And his basic strategy is I find an undervalued asset where I like the business and then I own a share of the business and then the business grows. That is why Warren Buffett is successful because he's a very disciplined investor. He does not speculate in the stock market. In fact, he does the reverse of speculation. He investigates the businesses that he is looking at and then he invests in those businesses. So when you see the stock market as a speculative gamble, it becomes a speculative gamble for you. But that's not what the stock market is meant to do. And that's not actually what the stock market does. What the stock market does is it creates giant pools of liquidity. Those giant pools of liquidity make it possible for new businesses to get off the ground. Some of those businesses will fail, but many of those businesses will succeed. It allows innovation to happen. And that innovation creates profit margin. That profit margin allows more innovation to happen. This is why the sort of socialistic idea that profit is bad is really stupid. Profit is the incentive structure that actually allows people to create new and innovative products. And when you take money out of those markets, out of the stock market, for example, if you're the government, because you just suck money into the government maw, and then you blow it out on your favored projects. Or if you're a, a sort of right-wing industrialist, proto-industrialist policy guy, and you think, what if we just suck money out of the markets, and then we just blow it out on a manufacturing center in Ohio. You're doing the same thing. You are taking the money from where it is most efficient and where it is most likely to generate better products, better innovation, and more economic growth. And you are taking it and putting it in a place where that is less likely to happen. Now, you can pretend that that's good for the economy as a whole. It is not. It is good for your friends. You want to say it's good for your friends? Fine. That's at least a fair argument. I'm taking money from Bob and I'm giving it to Steve because I like Steve and I don't care about Bob. That's at least a fair argument. But to, but to pretend that leads to overall economic growth is a lie. And that sort of policy undergirds Bidenomics, and it is leading to terrible effects for the American worker, for the American consumer, for everyone. Because here is the thing. When we talk about the wages of the 1950s, when we talk about bringing back the 1950s, economically speaking, you would not want to live in the 1950s, economically speaking. You wouldn't. Okay, you wouldn't have a cell phone. You would not have a really nice car. The cars from 1950 were not nearly as nice in terms of the features and things they have as the cars today. Your fridge would be broken half the time. You probably wouldn't have air conditioning by statistics in 1950. No one wants to live in 1950. When everybody ha has economic nostalgia, just remind them that right now you live in a magical time where you take your cell phone, which is a magical device that connects to a cloud in the sky, suppose a, a magical cloud. And then that magical cloud allows you to buy any product on earth sourced from 10 different countries and arrives at your door in two days. Okay, anybody in all of human history looked at that and they think they're living in some sort of magical universe. And you're sitting here being like, I wish it were the 1950s again in industrial policy. It's ridiculous. Okay, we'll get to why this is actually failing in one second, because Joe Biden's economy is about to start sliding into recession. I know that everybody's happy talking this thing. Oh, we escaped recession. So first of all, let me point out, stagnation was always coming. I've been saying for two years now that inflation was not the long-term threat to the United States. Stagnation was the long-term threat to the United States. Joe Biden, when he came into office, was promising that for a decade, we would not grow at above a 2% GDP clip. That is not enough to keep up with the kind of debts that we have been assuming as a nation. Stagnation is the problem. And stagnation is created when you remove the innovative sector of the economy and instead you toss it at your friends. Instead, you toss it at your political supporters. It's true on every side of the aisle. 
the free economics creates better products, cheaper products. It creates better jobs, creating those cheaper and better products. Okay, you work a better job than your grandpa did. You want to be nostalgic for the 1950s? Remember, your, your grandpa was sitting on a line somewhere riveting for 10 hours a day. Does that sound amazing? You're sitting in an air-conditioned office and whining about how you're getting sciatica from typing. Which one of those jobs is better? Okay, there is no question about this. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's talk about the economy. So as we've been saying, Joe Biden's economy, not fantastic. Plus, his economic policy, also less than fantastic. This is why I'm diversified at least a little bit into precious metals. Since the turn of the century, the world's dollar supply grew 344%. Each dollar's purchasing power has declined 44%. Leaders around the world are questioning the value of owning an asset with unlimited supply and a steadily declining value, which is why so many people are looking and diversifying into gold. That includes, by the way, the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They're looking at a new international super currency fully backed by gold or other commodities, which will drive the price of gold up. This is part of their long-term plan to supplant the United States and the dollar as a cornerstone of the global financial system. One of the ways you can protect your IRA or 401k from the fallout is by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty. That would be like right now. Birch Gold, they're the people I trust with my gold investments. Protect your savings the same way. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it's going to be very nice to have some gold to rely upon. Again, text Ben to 989898 to get started. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you may have noticed we're experiencing a ton of global instability as primary season continues. How are you protecting your family in the midst of all of this chaos and nonsense? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval, dating all the way back to biblical times. That, of course, would be gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out, balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Smart investors diversify. And when you look at the pace of inflation over the past several years, you can see financial instability is the new way of the world. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898 and talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. Okay, so what is the fallout from this kind of policy, this kind of dumb industrial policy, where we spend oodles and oodles of money on unproductive companies that could not survive in the private markets? Well, the fallout is that places go bankrupt. The fallout is inflationary policy in which you helicopter money all over the place and then you're shocked when all the prices go up. So, for example, if you look at Joe Biden's total inflation rate since he became president of the United States, the total inflation rate, like when you when you actually add all that up, consumer prices since Joe Biden took office are up 16 percent. That is a huge number. That is a really, really big number. How about real wages? Real wages since Joe Biden took office are down 3.5 percent. Okay, so that means that your wages went down 3.5 percent and your prices went up 15 percent, which means that you now have a delta of 20 percent. That, that is a real problem for the vast majority of American consumers. Why? Well, because when you helicopter money all over the place, it gives people the impression they have more money and then they go and they spend the money and then they spend the money and the prices go up. Well, right now, the fallout from this is going to be eventually the party comes to an end and somebody is left without a chair. And some of those places are going to be companies that should never have had money in the first place. So one of Joe Biden's favorite companies was a, a company called Proterra. Hey, Proterra is an electric vehicle parts supplier, and Joe Biden actually spoke about Proterra and the magic of it in 2021. Here is Joe Biden in 2021 talking about the magic of Proterra. Right now, we're running way behind China, but you guys are getting us in the game. 
You guys are getting us in the game. It's going to make a lot of difference. We're going to end up owning the future, I think, if you keep we keep oh, doing yes. what we're doing. When you start making a thousand buses a year, what are you going to? You're going to need more room for your customers, aren't you? Yes, sir. <laughs> Uh, the electric buses. And as we know, Kamala Harris loves electric buses. This is one of the reasons why the government decided to get behind Proterra back in 2021. Here's Kamala Harris yesterday praising the magic of the electric buses. In places like St. Cloud, Minnesota, CWA workers are building electric buses so people can get where they need to go. Where they need to. OK, um, there's only one problem. Yesterday, electric vehicle parts supplier Proterra, according to Reuters, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, making it the latest company to go belly up in an industry grappling with supply chain constraints, slowing demand and a funding drought. Where's that funding drought coming from? It turns out that when you get addicted to government cash, eventually the heroin supply stops coming. The move comes weeks after Lordstown Motors filed for bankruptcy protection and put itself up for sale after failing to resolve a dispute over a promised investment from Foxconn. Proterra's shares nearly halved in value after the bell. It listed its assets and liabilities in the range of $500 million to $1 billion. The entire market cap of the company is $362 million. In January of 2021, Proterra was valued at $1.6 billion, including debt, in a merger deal with a blank check firm. And it was Joe Biden who was touting this, this firm. Now, the difference between the government subsidizing a firm and you subsidizing, and you subsidizing a firm, I've made investments that have gone bust and I lose the money. When the government makes the investment and then goes bust, you also lose the money. That's the way that it works. And that, that is why these sort of industrial policies are a fail. Meanwhile, the Bidenomics team, they keep out going out there and proclaiming that everything is going swimmingly when we all know it's not. Here is Kamala Harris lying yesterday saying that wages are up and inflation is down. Well, that all depends on your starting point. If you start from like last month, then that's true. If you start from when Joe Biden became president, it's wildly false. Again, inflation is up almost 16% from when Joe Biden took office, if you're looking at the, the price rate. And if you're looking at wage rates, they're down 4% during that same period in real wages. And Bidenomics is working. Today, the unemployment rate, okay, here's the evidence. Today, the unemployment rate is near the lowest it has been in over half a century in our country. <laughs> Wages are up and inflation has fallen 12 months in a row. I love these sorts of talking points. Inflation has fallen 12 months in a row. Okay, which, which is sh sort of like saying that um, you're doing better than you did over the, yesterday and you're doing better yesterday than you did the day before. And that's because 12 months ago, you were hit by a truck, right? So ever since then, you've been improving, right? You're missing the part where you got hit by the truck. Okay, so you know what would have been amazing is if the inflation rate had not been at like 11%. That would have been amazing. And we brought it down month over month. By the way, when you bring it down month over month, that still means that the inflation is continuing. It's just the rate is not changing in a positive direction. That's like you're filling the bathtub and the water is still going up. It's just filling a little bit more slowly than it was a minute ago. But if they lie to you often enough, they figure that maybe they'll get away with it. Because again, they can just point to whenever you have a system where you can point at concentrated winners and disparate losers, it's much easier to pitch. This is the beauty of industrial policy and corporatism. You can point at individual companies. You say, ah, this guy's a winner. And then you say, well, what did you lose? You lost a couple of bucks. He... He had a chance at winning, like, amazing. The problem is, when you have this many disparate costs, they start to add up. And we're seeing that in spades right now for the American wage earner. We're seeing this for American businesses. And that the future of American growth is very, very precarious right now. We'll get to more on that in just one second. First, it's time for our Meat of It question, sponsored by Good Ranchers. 
where we get to the meat of a hard-hitting weekly question. The question is, with all the recent investigations into both Trump and Biden, which American political family do you think is the most corrupt? Well, I mean, this is a long list of, of corrupt political families. So you'd have to put up there the Kennedys. The Kennedy family had some serious, serious corruption issues going all the way back to Joseph. Also going back to, you know, Teddy Kennedy leaving a, a lady dead in a, in a river. Uh, you'd have to look at the Clinton family. Both Bill and Hillary, wildly corrupt, selling pardons for cash and all the rest of it. And of course, the Biden family is extraordinarily corrupt, as we've been talking about at length. Well, while some political families may attempt to disguise their foreign business dealings as completely innocent, foreign meat can disguise itself as a product of the United States. Yes, grocery store shelves are riddled with meat from other countries disguised in a product of the U.S. label. If you prefer to know without a shadow of a doubt where your meat comes from instead of guessing, you need good ranchers. They source 100% American meat. They deliver it to your door. No disguises, no surprises, just American Beef, chicken, and pork, amazing meat, conveniently delivered when you need it. So what exactly are you waiting for at this point? Enjoy that real meat and real service today with Good Ranchers. Visit GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Ben for 30 bucks off any box. That's promo code Ben at GoodRanchers.com. GoodRanchers.com is American meat delivered. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, not only do blinds enhance the aesthetic appeal of your home, they also offer practical benefits. By effectively blocking out harmful UV rays, they help protect your furniture and flooring from fading, ensuring your interiors retain their beauty for years to come. Their insulating properties help regulate the temperature inside your home, keeping it comfortable year-round while potentially reducing your energy bills. With over 40,000 five-star reviews, Blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window coverings. You can measure and install them yourself or have Blinds.com send local professionals to take care of the installation for you. There's no showroom, no retail markets, no matter how many, or installation is just one low cost. And if you don't have an eye for design, Blinds.com experts are always available to help choose the style and color right for you. Everything they sell is covered by their perfect fit and 100% satisfaction guarantee. With hundreds of styles and colors to choose from, Blinds.com is sure to have the perfect treatments for your windows. Shop Blinds.com's anniversary sale right now through March 13th for up to 50% off. Again, save up to 50% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. And when you check out, don't forget to tell them you heard about them at The Ben Shapiro Show. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, so... The American consumer is, is going to start feeling it pretty quickly now because the money is running out. And you can see it. It's starting actually, forget about the consumer. Look at the businesses. And I pointed out that there is, in fact, a different measure of economic growth, different than GDP. And that measure of economic growth doesn't look just at consumer end product spending, which is how Keynesians would look at it. This is why they always believe that government spending is going to jog GDP because government spending goes into consumer growth. If the, if the government spends a lot of money on a product, then this is called economic growth. That's really not the way that it should work. But there is a better measure called gross output that we've been talking about. Gross output is how businesses are investing and how businesses are spending. And what you see is that gross output remains pretty precarious right now. It's not looking fantastic because businesses are pulling back. And you're seeing this in pretty much every area of American life right now. So for example, according to the Wall Street Journal, new lending by mortgage REITs has now dried up. So if you are worried about commercial real estate taking a dive, you should be worried. Blackstone Mortgage Trust and KKR Real Estate Finance Trust, two of the biggest mortgage real estate investment trusts, have now halted loans to any new borrowers. Okay, that is a serious problem. That means that liquidity is drying up. When liquidity dries up, it means that people can't invest it. While these firms continue to provide financing related to existing loans, they're not originating any new loans. That's also true of Starwood Property Trust. Mortgage REITs, which lend to property owners instead of buying and developing real estate like equity-oriented REITs, typically originate and average about $10 billion in loans every quarter. Hardly any new loans are being made right now, which means that you're going to see markets start to decline in real estate. Well, stocks declined pretty significantly yesterday after the banks were downgraded by Moody's. 
So according to the Wall Street Journal, weak Chinese export data, which, by the way, is a reflection of the American consumer market because we're the ones who are actually buying Chinese product. Weak Chinese export data, a dimmer financial outlook from UPS and a credit downgrade for 10 smaller U.S. banks sends stock indices down on Tuesday. Government bond prices climbed, pushing yields down. That means people are trying to invest in government bonds at this point and get away from the stock market, which is a sign of economic weakness. Bonds are getting more attractive compared with stocks lately, given higher yields and the risk that recession hits corporate earnings in the future. Financial shares were stung when Moody's lowered credit ratings for 10 smaller U.S. banks and said it was reviewing ratings for six larger ones, including Bank of New York Mellon and U.S. Bancorp. The move renewed concerns over tighter lending and the banking system's ability to withstand sharply higher interest rates. Again, if the banks invested a lot in bonds two years ago, they're absolutely jacked. This is what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. They invested a lot in bonds, figuring that the government was a safe place to put the money. And then the government had to raise those interest rates radically on the new bonds, making the old bonds essentially worthless. That's what bankrupted Silicon Valley Bank. There are some other banks that have similar math. So we are looking right now at persistent high inflation in Europe, tight financial conditions. In Asia, a slow recovery. Right? All of this is, um, is negative stuff. China is slipping into deflation right now. According to the Wall Street Journal, tepid consumer demand and rising economic concerns in the, sec- the world's second largest economy have now tipped China into a deflationary territory for the first time in two years, adding pressure on Beijing to act more aggressively to avoid a deepening economic malaise. Instead of experiencing a surge in prices after lifting the COVID-19 pandemic curbs late last year, China is now suffering an unusual bout of falling prices for a range of goods, from commodities like steel and coal to daily essentials and consumer products like vegetables and home appliances. So what happens to China? Well, China is heavily debt burdened. Well, what happens to the United, the United States is also heavily debt burdened. Now, we are still a better bet than China. We're still going to be able to sell our bonds. But just remember, when we sell bonds that have an interest rate of five and a half, five point seven five percent all we're really doing is saying that the government in 10 years is going to have to pay off all of that interest, which is going to eat up our entire government budget right now. So we have in this country extraordinary levels of government debt that is paired with extraordinary levels of personal debt. All of this is a tsunami waiting to happen. According to Axios, U.S. consumer credit card loans and other evolving plans as a share of GDP are now 3.7% of all GDP. The U.S. credit card debt hit a trillion dollars for the first time toward the end of July. This Rise reflects a number of factors, including rising consumer confidence and spending power amid cooling inflation. But again, people are spending on that credit card, which means a bunch of people are going to go bankrupt because not everybody pays off that credit card. There are 70 million more credit card accounts open now than pre-pandemic in 2019, according to Fed researchers. So Americans are spending an enormous amount of money on their credit cards. Rising balances may present challenges for some borrowers. The resumption of student loan payments this fall may add additional financial strain for many student loan borrowers, according to Fed researchers as well. It's all fun and games until the carousel stops. There's a good account on Twitter called the Kobesi Letter, which is um, in a commentary on global capital markets. The U.S. currently has $17.1 trillion in household debt, $12 trillion in mortgages, $1.6 trillion in auto la- loans, $1.6 trillion in student loans, $1.0 trillion in credit card debt. Total mortgage debt is more than double the 2006 peak. Now, all of this is super risky. It relies on the government to bail everybody out. And when those bailouts stop, which eventually they will, then people are going to be in a really hard situation. That's when you'll get more calls for more government spending, more government regulation. This is the beauty of being a corporatist. When your policies fail, you just call for more cowbell. You just blame capitalism and suggest that it was capitalism's fault that all this stuff happened when it wasn't capitalism's fault in the first place. And we'll get to the impact of all of this on the 2024 race momentarily first. 
When you're running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. This is why you need to talk to Bambi. Bambi gives you access to your own dedicated HR manager starting just 99 bucks per month. This person is available to you by phone, email, real-time chat. They'll help you run employee onboardings, terminations, and performance reviews. With Bambi's HR Autopilot feature, you can automate important HR practices like setting policies, employee training, and feedback procedures as well. All of Bambi's HR managers are based in the United States and can support the nuances across all 50 states. HR managers can easily cost 80 grand per year. Bambi starts at just 99 bucks per month. Schedule your free conversation today. See how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type Ben Shapiro under podcast when you sign up. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Bambi.com and type in Ben Shapiro. My business partners and I, we frequently talk about the fact that uh, when our employees commit sins, we are the ones who pay the penalty. Well, that's why we have HR to prevent that sort of stuff from happening. You need HR as well. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type Ben Shapiro under podcast when you sign up. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Ben Shapiro to get started and to get your business protected today. Okay, you can, one of the ways that you can see that uh, the easy money is drying up is because very foolish corporate policies are also starting to dry up. Those are the preserve of the privilege. In the same way that environmentalism is a preserve of the global privilege, the only people who care about the environment are people who can afford uh, to, to do so. They're not people who are living in Africa who are burning dung for fuel and trying to make sure that their, their one-year-old stays alive. It's a bunch of rich people living in the West who are deeply worried about the polar bears and the Arctic ice caps. Well, the same thing happens with regard to the economy. When you have loose money policies, bad companies get money and bad corporate policies get promulgated. Well, now you can see, again, this is actually, it's a good sign for the future of corporate America, but it's also a sign of an economic downturn that all these corporate firms are now getting rid of ESG and, and DEI. ESG and DEI are just drags on the profitability of these corporations. And corporations were able to do that and they were able to virtue signal with their money and with the stock market, they were, able to, they were able to do that so long as the money was still flowing. When the money stops flowing, the first thing to go is all of the virtue signaling, which is why the Wall Street Journal is reporting today that conservative legal activists have successfully challenged the use of affirmative action by universities. Now they're going after diversity initiatives widely deployed across American corporations. Some companies are already reconsidering their efforts. In lawsuits, shareholder letters, and petitions to the EEOC, activists are using some of the same tactics that progressive groups have used to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI programs. They are arguing companies are violating rules against race and sex discrimination, including those drawn from legislation designed to secure the rights of black Americans. Comcast has settled the case accusing it of illegally favoring minority-owned small businesses. Amazon has been sued in Texas over a program offering special benefits to black or Latino-owned delivery service contractors. Starbucks is being sued as well. And... As you are seeing, S&P is now dropping ESG scores from debt ratings, which is exactly as it should have been in the first place. But when the money was free and loose, you could be just as lefty as you wanted to be. It's when the money starts to get tight that everybody turns into a conservative again. According to the, uh, the Financial Times, S&P Global has now stopped handing out scores to corporate borrowers on ESG criteria. The debt rating agency has since 2021 published scores from one to five for a company's exposure to each element of environmental, social and governance risks. Payments company Visa, for example, had received two for E and S and a three for G. First Energy, a high utility that has been charged with corruption, received a four score for G, S&P's second lowest grade. Late last week, S&P reversed course, saying only text, not numerical scores would comprise analysis of a company's ESG matters. The rating agency said, quote, we have determined the dedicated analytical narrative paragraphs in our credit rating reports are most effective at providing detail and transparency on ESG credit factors material to our rating analysis. So they are going to continue doing the uh, rating analysis, but they're not going to give it a number, which means effectively speaking, it's not going to matter anymore. Moody's is still rating ESG criteria on a one to five scale. So why is this happening? 
Well, supposedly it's because of evil Republican pressure. It's not because of evil Republican pressure. It's because corporations are saying, well, you know what? I don't need in order to be profitable. You're ESG garbage. And in fact, investors are looking and they're going, um, I just want to invest in the company that's going to make me money in the company that is profitable and run well. And you know what I don't care about? Whether they are showing diversity HR videos to their employee video, to their employees. I don't care about that. That makes no difference to me. Does the company earn or does the company not earn? Does it provide a good product or service or does it not? So S&P is walking this stuff back. And again, that's the first indicator that we're about to go into a fairly serious recession. Because again, when you look at the stuff that, just like you in your household, all your frivolous spending, when it's an economic downturn, when somebody loses a job, the first thing to go is your night out at the movies and, and your restaurant trips. Well, when it comes to corporate America, the first thing to go is ESG and DEI when the cuts come. Corporate earnings are down. That means the economy is going to drop. Okay, just get ready for it. And while Joe Biden is happy talking this thing, it would be important to, uh, to start protecting yourself. But w- with all of that said, Republicans would be poised to take advantage of this if they knew how to speak in free market terms. But Republicans have left that far behind. And there's a serious problem. In the effort to win over people in middle America, the so-called Rust Belt, the, the suggestion has been made that those people are desperate for manufacturing policy that quote-unquote reshores jobs. And all of that is, is nice-sounding stuff that effectively means subsidization for some at the expense of others. That's not actually, by the way, why Republicans are winning in Ohio and Indiana. The reason Republicans are winning in Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, all these Midwestern Rust Belt states it has very little to do with manufacturing policy because guess what? Most of those jobs didn't come back. They all just shifted over, right? Pittsburgh used to be a steel town and now Pittsburgh is actually a healthcare town. Jobs change. It doesn't mean people don't get lost in the shuffle, which is horrible. We have to find better ways to transition them to new careers. We have to find better opportunities for them. But the idea that you're bringing back like the entire manufacturing base of the United States is something that both the Republican Party and Democratic Party keep saying, and it's not going to happen in large swaths of the manufacturing economy in the same way that agriculture used to be a mainstay of the American economy. And now agriculture is worked by a tiny fraction of the workforce in the United States. You don't hear people saying, well, you know what? All those farmers who lost jobs, we need to find ways for them to go back to farming. That's just not something people say anymore. And the reason for that is economies become more innovative. They become more efficient. The actual reason, by the way, that Republicans are winning in red states has much more to do with the bizarre cultural policies practiced by left coast elites than it has to do with industrial policy in the Midwest. So as the Republican Party embraces the idea that entitlement programs should never be messed with, that we should continue spending just like Democrats do, only on different people, it's a race to the bottom at that point. It really is. It'd be nice if somebody in American politics had the actual balls to talk about the beauties of the free market, which is what has made America the most prosperous country in world history, bar none, without a doubt. Instead, we're just going to blow out our debt and we're going to continue ignoring all the systemic problems with the economy until we hit a cliff, at which point we hit a cliff. And then, because America is perceived as capitalist, but actually is corporatist, at that point, they blame the free markets and they call for more government interventionism, and it's a spiral to the bottom. So if that sounds kind of dark, it's because it is. Again, it would be really nice if somebody in political power had the capacity to speak clearly and cogently about the economy. But um, that's likely not what we're going to get. Instead, it's going to be uh, a race of personalities. Speaking of which, apparently, Carrie Lake is now preparing another president, another Senate run. She ran for governor. She lost to a wet rag in Katie Hobbs in Arizona. Everybody thought Carrie Lake was going to win that race. They thought she was going to win that race because, again, Katie Hobbs is a terrible candidate, like a truly awful candidate. Carrie Lake somehow found a way to lose the race by essentially saying to a bunch of people in the middle, I don't want you to vote for me. I mean, she actually said that pretty much. Now she has declared that she won. And if this is the Republican plan for victory, I got to say, it's really stupid. 
Declaring that you won a game that you lost does not make you the winner of that game, nor should it make you the favorite for the next game. There is no game of which I am aware that you claiming victory makes you the victor in the game. If you just declare that you won a basketball game after you clearly lost a basketball game, does that now make you a winner who moves on to the next round? And yet this seems to be denial is not just a river in Egypt. Denial is apparently now a Republican electoral strategy. If you pretend that you didn't lose an election and then you say a bunch of stuff about it that is unverifiable, then we give you the benefit of the doubt because we hate the left so much that we have decided that everything they say is a lie up to and including election results. That's not a good way to win a re-elect effort. The Arizona Republican Party is destroying itself right now. And it's a disaster area for the Republican Party nationally because if Republicans lose Arizona, which state do they make up in a presidential? Remember, until about five years ago, Arizona was entirely red. If you go back to like 2016, the senators from Arizona were John McCain and Jeff Flake. It was two Republicans and Doug Ducey was the Republican governor of Arizona. And now there's a Democratic senator. There are two Democratic senators and a Democrat governor in Arizona. So is the Arizona Republican Party shifting back toward the sort of maverick state status that actually allows it to win in the state? Nope. Apparently, Carrie Lake is not only running in the Senate race. She is now the far and away favorite in the primary race there which I got to say is just wild. It's wild, especially because this is a super vulnerable seat for Democrats. Kirsten Sinema, the current independent senator in Arizona, she is running against Ruben Gallego. Ruben Gallego right now is drawing a plurality of the vote. Sinema is drawing some of the Republican vote. Okay, well, if you had a stronger Republican candidate who, say, didn't alienate independents, maybe fewer of those independents would go over to Kirsten Sinema. Right now, Kirsten Sinema is winning like 37, 38% of the vote. Gallego is at like 40-something. And Carrie Lake, if she were in that race, is in the 20s. Hey, that ain't going to do it. And yet Republicans in Arizona seem so obsessed with the idea that if they just keep relitigating 2020 and 2022 and pr presumably 2024 for the rest of time, that this will be an electoral strategy that leads to... I, I just don't understand how this has ever worked. Name a situation in your life where looking back on a thing and just gnawing on it over and over and over has made your life better. Name, name literally one situation in your own life where something has gone wrong for you and you gnaw on it. You just sit there and you, and you just obsess about it endlessly. And this has now made your life better going forward. And yet this is what Republican Party seems to be doing, not only over 2020, but over over 2022 as well now. According to Axios, a potential three-way battle with, with Kirsten Sinema running as an independent exposes deep divisions in both parties on whether to appeal to their bases or independence. Lake still has not conceded her gubernatorial loss in 2022. The race offers a state-level experiment on the implications of a possible three-way presidential contest because cinema is playing the sort of no-labels candidate right now. If Lake wins GOP's primary next August, she will likely face down Gallego and Cinema in the general election. Cinema has not officially announced whether she will seek re-election, but she has a bunch of cash on hand. Now, again, Republicans cannot afford to lose Arizona. It's this simple. Maybe it feels good to sort of stew in these issues. But I'm just wondering, again, whether it's better to stew in them or it's better to win. You know, Republicans could do the same thing in Georgia. I noticed that, for example, Brian Kemp won going away as governor of Georgia. Won going away. Even as Republicans stewed over 2020 in Georgia, Brian Kemp won running away in Georgia over Stacey Abrams, who is the scourge of Georgia in 2020, supposedly. So here are your choices. You can either sit there and you can gnaw on the past or you can win. Those, there's no third choice here. Which is why, again, if Donald Trump is the nominee, he's going to need to not relitigate 2020 as his key motivation to victory. That, that is not going to motivate independence. It's just not. No one wants to relitigate that other than the Republican base. And 
It may feel good. And you may believe you're right. And maybe you are right. Okay. I don't think the proof is there. I don't think the evidence is there that like votes were tallied in the middle of the night. False votes were bust into Fulton County by the box and then loaded into machines. I think the evidence does not exist for that. But let's even say you're right. Question. If you just say that over and over, does that make Donald Trump president? Because what Kerry Lake is doing on a state on a state level is what Donald Trump is doing on a national level. And the thing is, Donald Trump, if he's the nominee, he could redeploy and go against Biden. He does have that capacity, but he's going to need the incentive structure to do that. That incentive structure is going to come from the Republican base, not from the media who wish to win. They, the media want nothing but Donald Trump relitigating 2020 for 2024. That is their favorite thing. It means that Donald Trump does not become president of the United States in 2024 if he does that. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, is that dark spot on your face still bugging you? How about the liver spots on your hands, neck, and chest? Well, you can watch those disappear safely and quickly in three minutes. Introducing the Genusol Dark Spot Corrector, their three-step, three-minute dark spot luxury system. It does exactly what it sounds like, corrects those dark spots by using their Crystal's microdermabrasion before the dark spot corrector and then finishing with a touch of the collagen building Genusol 15, you'll see dark spots disappear before your very eyes. We're talking instantly, smoothly, luxuriously. You don't have to take my word for it. If you're not blown away with the results, 100% money back guarantee, free shipping, free returns. All three products are included in Genusol's most popular package for August. So you get your Genusol bags and puffiness serum also included for 70% off retail. Head on over to GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Order the new dark spot treatment system today. Say goodbye to those pesky spots tomorrow. That's GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Also, whether it's changing the definition of words or trying to convince you that two plus two actually equals five, it sometimes feels like the leftist culture is doing its best to make you stupid because they are. But good news, our good friend Dennis Prager has all the answers in his Daily Wire Plus series, Prager U Master's Program. In Master's Program, Dennis has gathered 40 years worth of wisdom and is sharing it on a number of wide ranging subjects. Dennis offers useful advice on marriage, happiness, how to be a good person, plus so much more. He talks about the differences between men and women in a world that wants to make you woke and dumb. Dennis is on a mission to make you wise. All episodes now available only for Daily Wire Plus members. Don't wait. Go to dailywireplus.com, become a member, watch PragerU Master's Program today. Okay, meanwhile, so when it comes to Donald Trump's race, he can, he can run one of two races. One of them he could win. One of them he is almost sure to lose. The one that he can win is the one where everyone just highlights Joe Biden's failures. We've been talking about it incessantly. Joe Biden is a failed president. He's a terrible president. There is not a thing that he has touched that has not turned to garbage. Well, here is Donald Trump on that topic yesterday, and this is totally fine stuff. Everyone can see the stunning contrast between our incredible success and Joe Biden's horrendous failures. And that's one reason why we're leading so big in the polls. That's Really, the reason I think it's a, a more enthusiasm now than 2016 or 2020, because you've seen how incompetent these people are. It's it's horrible. OK, so all of that is fine. If, however, Donald Trump runs on the basis of his legal cases, it's not likely to go amazing. So yesterday he said, I'm not in Iowa. There's a reason I'm not in Iowa. It's because of my legal cases. How can my corrupt political opponent Crooked Joe Biden put me on trial during an election campaign that I'm winning by a lot, but forcing me nevertheless to spend time and money away from the campaign trail in order to fight bogus, made-up accusations and charges. That's what they're doing. I'm sorry, I won't be able to go to Iowa today. I won't be able to go to New Hampshire today because I'm sitting in a courtroom on bullshit because his attorney general charged me with something. Okay, again, I agree with him on a lot of this stuff, but is that going to win a presidential election with independence? Is that going to be the line? If the line is Joe Biden's a terrible president, he can win. If the line is, I can't campaign today because I'm in court, that is not a winning line. And no matter how much Republicans are going to have to get out of their own heads, they really are. And this is true on nearly every issue. 
Republicans are insider. Again, I get the lack of credibility of the left. I also think they lie frequently, near incessantly. I also think that they say things that are not true, that they twist the narrative, that they do things that are truly bad. I agree with all of that. It also does not mean that if we are constantly looking in the mirror and just seeing what we want to see, that we are going to come away with an accurate reflection of what politics in America looks like. I'll give you another example. So last night, there was a special election in Ohio. It was a special election on what they called issue one on the Ohio ballot. This election was about whether to change the Ohio state constitution to make it so that amendments basically required a supermajority in order to be passed. So if you want to change the Ohio state constitution right now, you need just a sheer majority. But instead of that, they want to make it a supermajority. This is what was up for debate. However, this debate actually wasn't about the constitutional amendments. It was about the Ohio Republican Party doing that and the left saying what they actually are attempting to do is prevent you from enshrining Roe versus Wade in the Ohio state constitution. What they really want to do is just ban abortion in state law and then make it impossible for us to overturn because they've changed the rules of the constitutional amendment. So that's what was on the ballot last night. And here's how the Associated Press described the results. So first of all, the Ohio resolution to essentially stabilize the Ohio state constitution. It went down to flaming defeat 57 to 43. Here's how the AP described it. Quote, Ohio voters on Tuesday resoundingly rejected a Republican-backed measure that would have made it more difficult to change the state's constitution, setting up a fall campaign that will become the nation's latest referendum on abortion rights since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned nationwide protections last year. The defeat of issue one keeps in place a simple majority threshold for passing future constitutional amendments rather than the 60% supermajority that was proposed. Its supporters said the higher bar would protect the state's foundational document from outside interest groups. Voter opposition to the proposal was widespread, even spreading into traditionally Republican territory. In fact, in early returns, support for the measure fell far short of Donald Trump's performance during the 2020 election in nearly every county. So as Jazz Shaw points out over at Hot Air, the word abortion appeared nowhere in the text of issue one. It was a proposal to raise the bar for amending the state constitution to 60% support rather than simple majority. That's already in place in a lot of other states. However, however, it was read by the voters as an attempt to basically protect pro-life positions. He says, even a quick glance at the national polls will tell the same story about the state of play in American politics today. Joe Biden is among the least popular presidents in modern American history. Recent investigations have made it increasingly clear he is almost certainly among the most corrupt. Nobody approves of him. But yesterday's results in Ohio are all the proof you need. Such a result is not going to happen like a giant romp over Joe Biden and that Biden could still hold on to the White House. That's because if we allow Democrats to make next year's election all about abortion, their voters and a number of moderates and independents will ignore massive failures and the deplorable state of their country, hold their noses and vote to keep the GOP out of power at any cost. There is no more pro-life person in America than I am. Okay, I am fully pro-life all the way back to point of conception, no exceptions for rape or incest. I'm as pro-life as it is possible to be. Also, politics exists. Republicans saying over and over to themselves that if we take the hardest pro-life position in every state in the union, this will lead to electoral victory is dumb. It is not correct. You're going to have to gradually convince the American people of the rightness of your positions. Because if you don't, the backlash is going to come strong from the other side. You're seeing this in state election after state election. It's what's happening in Kansas, for example, where an overwhelmingly Republican population voted to actually enshrine abortion in Kansas constitutional law. If Republicans feel like they are the only voters in the room, if they feel like they vote on the basis of Kerry Lake's race in 2020, or they vote on the basis of Donald Trump being victimized by law enforcement, or they vote for their nominees on the basis of who takes the most pro-life position and promises they're going to ram it down in law, even without any political support for that position, they're going to lose. Okay, gravity does exist. The left has been assuming with the economy, gravity doesn't exist. And the left for a long time with regard to things like crime assumed that gravity did not exist. Gravity continues to exist in the political realm. Reality continues to exist in the political realm. Now, I'll be honest with you and I'll tell you, 
where people are straying from their central principles. It is 100% true that if you go for a 10-week abortion ban, that is not a full abortion ban, nor is it remotely sufficient to protect human life. It is also true, if that's the best you can get, that may be the best you can get. Now, there are a lot of people who make a great living telling you that if you don't go for broke all the time, every time, they are never going to get anywhere. And it's precisely the opposite. If you go for broke every time, all the time, you're going to lose from here till the end of the time. Because going for broke every so often may result in the victory, but the other 98% of the time, it results in loss. And that other 98% of the time matters an awful lot more. It really does. Victories are won incrementally. The pro-life movement defeated Roe versus Wade over the course of 50 years of building up an entire legal movement specifically dedicated to interpreting the Constitution as originally intended. That took 50 years of incremental movement. Do you think that tomorrow, if we just go for broke, that magically the country is going to snap into a place of virtue? I don't. I think it's a long, hard slog. I think it's a long, hard process of convincing people and working with people. And yes, taking incremental gains and recognizing the gains for what they are, while also recognizing what they are not. That is what political honesty would look like. But very few people on either side of the political aisle actually do political honesty these days. Instead, their business is telling you about how pure they are on every form, and, and they don't worry about winning. Instead, what they worry about is can they wrong-foot the other guy and make it look as though he's actually pusillanimous on an issue when what he's really saying is the only way to, I agree with you on the issue, the only way to get to the point where you win is by pursuing these very practical steps or alternatively, you can shout at the win and then you can lose. Maybe, it's, maybe it feels good to shout at the win. Feeling good is not politics. Feeling good is not victory. Victory is victory and there's no substitute for it. All right, meanwhile, speaking of left-wing liars, the advanced placement board, they, the, the college board, they're just liars. They lie on, on the regular. They lie routinely. So they lied about their AP African-American history course in Florida, suggesting that it was just, it couldn't even be taught in Florida because you can't teach black history in Florida. It's just crap. It's not true at all. Well, now the college board has announced that it's going to pull its AP psychology class from Florida schools. It's not Florida banning the AP psychology class. Okay, Florida did not do that. It is the college board saying, we can't teach our AP psychology class in Florida schools. They say, quote, Florida Department of Education has effectively banned AP psychology in the state by instructing Florida superintendents that teaching foundational content on sexual orientation and gender identity is illegal under state law. Um, that is a lie. Here's what the Florida Department of Education says. Quote, just one week before school starts, the college board is attempting to force school districts to prevent students from taking the AP psych course. The other advanced course providers, including the International Baccalaureate Program, had no issue providing the college credit psychology course. So it's the AP that is removing the course, not Florida. Florida did not say you can't teach AP. AP said you can't teach AP in Florida. Why? Well, according to the AP standards on psychology, one of the standards is Describe how sex and gender influence socialization and other aspects of development. And also, articulate the impact of social and cultural categories on self-concept and relations with others. Now, there's nothing there that says that you have to teach a bunch of weird gender theory garbage. You could not, right? You could just teach that sex, of course, impacts socialization because girls are girls and boys are boys. And gender is deeply connected with sex. You could totally teach that in the context of the AP Psych course. But what AP is saying is that we don't want you to teach that. What we actually want to, you to teach is this gender-oriented nonsense. And thus, if you won't teach it, we'll pull it. So as a columnist for The Federalist points out, the College Board is equating the limits placed on teaching these two skills with removing a cornerstone of the course. This is like saying that neglecting to explain all the unconventional ways punctuation is used for rhetorical purposes somehow makes the whole class illegitimate. And the real reason for this is because the APA, the American Psychological Association, which has always been and is a deeply, deeply partisan political organization, 
groups like that are arguing that AP Psych should actually include more content about gender and sexuality. The APA CEO, Arthur Evans, has, quote, an advanced placement course that ignores the decades of science studying sexual orientation and gender identity would deprive students of knowledge they will need to succeed in their studies in high school and beyond. So first of all, I guarantee you that what they're teaching in AP Psych does not actually reflect the best science. I promise you. Because the best science says, with regard to, for example, sexual orientation, that there is no genetic marker for sexual orientation. That is what the actual science says right now. There is no clear and convincing genetic marker for sexual orientation. That is what a study of hundreds of thousands of human genomes by the Human Genome Project found. Will that appear in the AP Psych course? I have serious doubts that will appear because it conflicts with their entire narrative. How about gender identity? There is no, none, convincing science that there is, this, there is something called a female brain in a male body. That is a myth. That is a Gnostic myth. It does not exist in science because no one can actually label what a female brain looks like in a male body because the brain is part of the body. It's nonsense. Will they teach it anyway? That's what they want to teach. So Florida's just saying that we can't actually teach that stuff. And the AP is saying, well, you must teach that stuff. So is that Florida's fault or is that the AP's fault? Again, Florida didn't ban the AP course. AP banned the AP course. So stop blaming Florida for actually making sure that its kids aren't indoctrinated. Instead, blame the AP for attempting to indoctrinate the kids. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. So there is a, a book that was enormous in the 1970s. It's called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It was written by a, um, a guy who used to be sort of an English composition professor and then got very into psychology, went to University of Chicago. This book sold just millions and millions of copies Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's one of my dad's favorite books. I first read it when I was in my teens. I, re I reread it like this week because he kept talking about it. I was like, I, I don't really remember it that well. The book by Robert Piercig received 120 rejections before it was actually published. Its initial sales were at least 5 million copies worldwide. At this point, probably it sold twice that. It's the which makes it, by the way, the single best-selling psychology book probably in human history. You haven't heard of it because you didn't grow up in the 70s. The book in the 70s was perceived as an attack on conservatism. It is not. It is a deeply conservative book. So basically what the book is, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, is it's a story about the author and his son taking a motorcycle trip across the country. And it's interspersed with his flashbacks to his days in psychology because it turns out that he had an actual psychological break and he was hospitalized and giving like electrotherapy and all of this. And so it's it's a it's a travelogue interspersed with philosophical musings and investigations into what it was that made him go crazy about psycho about philosophy in the first place. Well, the book says a lot of the same sort of stuff that like Jordan Peterson says now. So a lot of the book is about the magic of fixing his motorcycle. Basically, you don't have to be, by the way, like a motorcycle enthusiast to actually enjoy this sort of stuff. I'm not. And again, what I what I actually do enjoy is what he calls in the book quality. So the central idea of the book is that there is this thing called quality. You know what it is, I know what it is, and it's undefinable. And when you try to define quality in any particular situation, you're gonna have a very hard time categorizing quality. But you know what it is, right? You know, down in the cockles of your own heart, that Beethoven is higher quality than Cardi B. Everyone knows that. And any attempt to say that that's not true, everyone knows is crap. Everybody knows that it's bull crap. It's postmodernist nonsense. And so what he says is that this quality has been lost. Why has it been lost? And he, he breaks it down into Greek, into Greek philosophy. And he basically says that there was an attempt to separate off the true from the good. And that was because if there was no way to define the good, then presumably truth could get lost. But what Piercing says is we should stop running away from the undefined term. Stop pretending that you can define a term that you can't define like quality or the good. 
because that is the thing that actually drives human beings. And you can pretend that you can categorize it, that you can nail it down like a butterfly on a piece of paper, but you can't actually do that. You know what it is in your heart because that is the way that we interact with the universe is through the prism of that good, of that quality. And it's not entirely, quote unquote, subjective. It is between you and the world. That's why there's widespread agreement on what amounts to quality in a wide variety of areas across human life. Now, what he doesn't, he kind of hints at it, but what he doesn't actually say is that that good, that quality is God, right? That that, that system of values is in fact the divine. And that is how we interact with the world is through that prism. That's what religion fills the gap of. He comes very close to basically saying that in the book, but he doesn't quite say that. But the book is really a much earlier version of make it bread. There is such a thing as a higher value. And that higher value is the thing that orients you. That science is not that higher value because science has no values because the empirical cannot actually separate, cannot bridge what they call the is-ought gap from things around you in the universe, in the physical universe, to what you ought to do. And what he says is that's an artificial gap in the first place because the way that you actually address the world is always going to be oriented through a particular perspective of quality. Like you as a human being, again, a point that my friend Jordan Peterson makes all the time, you as a human being, when you take in your sense perceptions around the world, you are discriminating among sense perceptions. You're not taking in everything around you at an equal rate. If you did, you'd go crazy very, very quickly, which means there's automatically an orientation process that is happening between you and the universe. And that orientation process, says Piercing, is quality. And that bridge, it puts back together the true and the good. Because it turns out that they are, in fact, enmeshed with one another. Because you can't actually see the true unless you acknowledge the good. So the, the book is well worth the read. It's really kind of riveting reading, philosophically speaking. Uh, I highly recommend it. Robert Piercig's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. So I don't know what a pansexual is or how it differs from a bisexual. Apparently a pansexual means that we ought to hide, everybody hide the cookery. Apparently you want to strip a pan or a pot or something like that. And I grab that spatula and go at it. Wayne Brady has now come out as pansexual. Here's what that means, says the Washington Post. When you have to explain this, then that means that it's a nonsense term. But apparently, being a pansexual is now, you know, an identity. Like just banging everything in sight is now, is now an identity. The host of the game show, Let's Make a Deal, said he had suppressed his sexuality and felt worried about people finding out while also feeling shame about not being honest about himself in an exclusive interview with people. Always, by the way, it demonstrates how much privacy you seek when you do an interview about who you want to bang with people. It is always an astonishing thing to me. People are like, I want my privacy. Give me my privacy. My private life is my own. I want to bang that one. It's like, uh, what? The, the first part of that argument was a complete gap with the second part of that argument. Like, I noticed you don't actually want your privacy. What you actually want is all of us to cheer and celebrate who you want to bang, which is a weird thing for you to want us to cheer and celebrate, considering it has no positive societal impact. See, here's the magic thing about marriage, for example. Marriage between a man and a woman has positive societal externalities. The reason society celebrates a marriage between a man and a woman is because it has made man a non-aggressive creature who's a threat to others and domesticated him. And it has taken woman and has put her together with man. And now they will create a family and a home and children and future generations. All of society should celebrate that. But now, because we've completely separated sex from family, everybody just wants people to like stand around and clap while they're like, I'd like to bang that furry. They're like, oh, amazing. That's terrific for you. Oh. And it's private. It's also private. I, I noticed it's not. You did an interview with People Magazine, which means that we get to mock you for using the term pansexual. Pansexual. Here's what you need to know about Brady, 51 and pansexual. First of all, I didn't need to know anything about it, Washington Post. 
I was perfectly happy not knowing anything about it. What you really mean is what Wayne Brady needs us to know about who he wants to nail. I am pansexual, Brady said. Bisexual with an open mind. What's a bisexual with a closed mind? What does that look like? Sure, members of both sexes. And there are only two of them. All that, but I'm also open-minded. Brady added that pan means being able to be attracted to anyone who identifies as gay, straight, bi, transsexual, or non-binary. Being able to be attracted across the board. Well, I mean, that does make his pool extremely large, like every human who walks the planet. So I guess congratulations to him on really expanding his dating possibilities. Brady spoke about how he has felt attracted to certain men, but pushed that aside because of how I was raised and because I live in today's world and it's scary as bleep. Brady said he was taught from a young age calling someone gay was a way to hurt or man. Uh, so this is going to be all about how evil society is, of course. I don't think I'm gay, but what if I feel something for another man? That's still gay, he said. Well, I mean, technically, it is. If you're a dude and you wish to nail other dudes, I feel like that's pretty gay. That's not stereotypical. That's like definitional. I was already bullied about a bunch of other bleep. I didn't want to add a top hat on top of that suit. The single entertainer said that during his path of self-discovery, he realized he had always loved his daughter and his family, but he needed to work harder on loving himself. Ah, this is always the basis of it. Love yourself. Love yourself. You notice what the Bible says. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Right? So love thyself is a predicate to doing good in the world. That's what it used to be. Now love thyself is in order to love every single thing about you. It requires no change, no restriction on your activity, embrace of everything you are or ever could be. What does pansexual mean? And here's the Washington Post definition, ready? People define pansexual in varying ways. Well, I guess we're done here. It could be anything in varying ways. Brady took pan to mean that not only can I be attracted to any of these people or types physically, I could be attracted to the person that is there. I don't even know what that means. That is a meaningless phrase. So not only could you be attracted to the type of person, but anyone you could be, or you could just call yourself a bisexual man. Glad defines someone who is pansexual as a person who has the capacity to form enduring physical, romantic, and or emotional attractions to any person, regardless of gender identity. Sexologist Carol Queen, which is a hell of a job, tells Teen Vogue, the greatest of our publications, there is no exact definition for pansexuality. People who identify as pansexual might want to be ready to clarify their own specific take on this identity to people who are confused about its implication. I love this. I don't know how to define it. People who say they're pansexual should be able to define it. What if you don't have any definition of this at all? Like what, what, what? How did Brady's family react to him coming out, says the Washington Post? The first person Brady came out to was his ex-wife, Mandy. I just said, great. As I knew coming out would help him be happier, she told people. Their 20-year-old daughter, Maylee Brady, responded with a shrug and an okay during with, with the interview with a proud smile. Ah, uh, so, so proud. So proud. <sighs> Why not? I mean, after all, pans, pots, various kitchen implements, spatulas, grill cleaners, all of it. That's, that's where we are because you have to love yourself. All righty, guys. The rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into the situation in Oakland where residents... Have a new way of fighting crime. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee. 
Just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 